Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If we learn anything from Mary and her alabaster box, it is that the sweetest praise that you have comes from your testimony. See, you got to know her reputation. You got to know who she was. You got to know how that all got in that box. And that's her testimony. And when she pours it out upon him, that's her everything. That's all she has. That's all the hope she has in the world. That's her retirement. But she said, you're greater than all of that, Lord. Because when I was unlovable, you loved me. Because when I didn't deserve it, you showed me mercy. Because when others shunned me, you opened up your arms to me. Oh, I wish just for a few moments somebody would get a hold of that. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bible and want to stand with me, the book of Acts, the third chapter. Acts chapter 3. I'll begin, re begin reading with the first verse of a very familiar story. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man, or a certain man lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eye upon him with John and said, Look unto us, or look on us. Verse 5 is where I want to draw your attention. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. I'm going to stop right in the middle of that very familiar story. Because I want to preach to you for just a few moments about a place called expectation. He looked to them expecting to receive. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the power and presence of the Lord that I feel moving in this house on a Sunday evening. I'm asking God that you allow the word of God that's going forth in this place, Lord, to reach out and touch us. Uh, let it challenge us. Uh, let it change us, Lord. Uh, in the precious name of Jesus, we're asking you to take over, Lord, and have your way. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. When the man turned to Peter and John, he turned to them expecting to receive something. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know that he got much more than he expected. 
You know that what happened, what happened next uh, was nowhere in the realm uh, of his expectation. Uh, when he turned to them, uh, he was looking for maybe a piece of silver, maybe a piece of gold, uh, maybe a morsel of food, uh, maybe something to drink. Uh, amen. But when he turned to them, he believed in his heart that something good was about to happen. Something was coming to him that would improve his situation. He didn't think it would change his life. He didn't think it was going to rearrange everything. He had no expectation uh, of walking away from that gate, never to return again. But he believed that something good was about to happen for him. He had an optimis optimism about the moment, expecting that he was about to receive something that he needed. Oh, I come to tell you in this place on a Sunday night, we live our lives according to our expectations. Those who believe their lives can be better generally find a way to make their lives better. And those who believe their lives cannot change typically remain the same way that they always were. A battered wife who believes that she somehow deserves this kind of abuse will remain in the relationship. But an addict who believes that he can change will do so one day at a time with a sense of expectation. I have a simple question this evening. I'm not going to preach anything profound. I just have a word for the Lord. What do you expect God to do for you? What is your expectation for this service? What is your expectation for this move of the Holy Ghost that's in this house uh, right now? A young psychology student serving in the army decided to test a theory. He had kitchen duty, and he was given the job of passing out apricots at the, at the end of the line, apricots. Somebody tell me, that might probably Yankee way to say it, Southern way. Uh, apricots sounds better to me. Y'all okay with that? So he's giving out apricots. And nobody in the Army likes apricots. It is the one item that nobody's going to take. And so as the soldiers began to come through, he, he started out by asking them, you don't want any apricots, do you? And sure enough, nine out of ten of them said, no, I sure don't. Ninety percent of them said no. Then he tried a different approach. He began to say, you do want apricots, don't you? And this time about half of them kind of stumbled along and said, oh, wait, yeah, well, maybe, maybe I do. Yeah, I'll take some apricots. And then finally he tried a third test. This time he simply asked them, one dish of apricots or two? And in spite of the fact that soldiers don't like army apricots, 40% took two dishes and 50% took one dish, and a full 90% of them took apricots. 
That experiment serves to show us that all too often you get what you expect. Whenever he asked them in a way that expected a negative answer, he got a negative answer. When he asked them in a way that expected a positive answer, he got more positive answers uh, than he had had before. But when he just assumed uh, that they would take one uh, and didn't remove the whole negative option from the table uh, and just ask them how much they wanted... 90% 90% of them took the apricots. He, swing, he swung from 90% that wouldn't take it to 90% that would just by making his expectations known. It's a simple story. It has an everlasting principle because God's not the guy at the end of the line giving out apricots. He's your blessing, God. He's the God that takes care of you. He's the God that watches over you. He's the God that provides for you. He's the God that heals your body. He's the God that touches your mind. He's the God that brings you peace in the middle of the storm. And I've got a question for you tonight. What do you expect from him? Peter and John met the lame man at a gate called Beautiful. It was 75 feet high if you can imagine that. And it was 60 feet wide. It was made from Corinthian brass overlaid with thick plates of pure gold. They say it was so heavy that it took 20 men to open it and to close it. And that's where he sat. Somebody brought him every day to that spot beside that beautiful gate. It was a special spot. Uh, Amen. When you panhandle for a living, and I hope that perhaps there's nobody under the sound of my voice that knows what that's about, uh, but when you panhandle for a living, your spot is important. The best spots are hard to come by. And this man, obviously, over the course of 20-plus years of of begging in Jerusalem, has moved his way up the ladder until he's finally got the best spot. He's sitting beside the gate, beautiful, where the faithful go into the house of God and come out of the house of God, and surely there's no better place in all of Jerusalem to beg for alms. There he is. In a good spot. Outside of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, there's a hot dog vendor who sets up every day on the porch of that museum. I read that he pays the city of New York $640,000 a year for the right to be there. He pays nearly three-quarter of a million dollars a year to reserve that spot. Let me promise you something. You don't pay that much money uh, to reserve a bad spot. Uh, You don't pay that much money uh, to reserve a spot that doesn't return uh, on your expectations. Uh, I don't know what his profit is, uh, but I can promise you uh, when he opens up his cart every day, he does it with the expectation uh, that he's going to make more than a million dollars this year selling hot dogs pretty obvious that it works because he's there year after year after year i'm going to tell you something when there's something that you need 
when you need something from God, the best place you can be is a place called expectancy. The best place you can be is a place that says, I trust you, God. I believe you've got my best at heart. I believe something good is coming my way tonight. I don't know what it is. I don't know the limits. I don't know the parameters. But I just believe you're a blessing, God. I just believe you didn't bring me this far to abandon me. I just believe you didn't put me in the middle of this chaos to leave me all by myself. In the 1960s, a teacher was given a roster that showed the IQ scores for her students in her homeroom class. Then in her second period class, she was given another roster where, mistakenly, the IQ column was filled in by the students' locker numbers. Now, the teacher never knew the second list was wrong. And after the year ended, it was discovered that in the first class, the students with the high IQ scores had performed better than the students with the low ones. That's pretty much what you would expect. But in the second class, the students with higher locker numbers scored better than students with lower locker numbers because you get what you expect. Teacher draws out of the class what she expects to get from the class. It's a lesson that we've learned over and over again. We make vital decisions based upon our expectations. Uh, We make the choice of what we're going to do based upon what we expect. Uh, We come into the house of God uh, on a Sunday evening uh, and prejudge the service uh, based on our expectation. Uh, And I come to challenge you uh, on a Sunday night uh, to lift up your eyes uh, to your Redeemer. Uh, Amen. And what do you expect from him tonight? In 1968, if you'd asked the question, which country will lead the world in watchmaking for the remainder of that century and into the next? The answer would have been a no-brainer. By 1968, Switzerland owned 65% of the watchmaking market worldwide, and 80% of the profits from watches went to Switzerland. They were innovative. You can thank the Swiss for all the great watchmaking advances of the 20th century. And in this, uh, this age of Apple watches and all, we, we don't even appreciate anymore. But I remember what it was to have a watch with a second hand. That's a Swiss invention. The self-winding watch was a Swiss invention. The waterproof watch, all the fishermen said, thank God, was a a Swiss invention. They took the position that they were the best and nobody was ever going to change that. Now, I remember looking through catalog when I was a kid. Watches were a big thing. They were a status symbol. We didn't all carry a phone that had the time on it all the time. I remember looking through catalogs and those really expensive watches uh, said they had Swiss uh, mechanics or Swiss gears with jewels and I don't know these ex- descriptions all linking back to the Swiss. But if you fast forward 12 years, in the year 1980, Switzerland owned only 10% of the world's watchmaking market share. Of 60,000 professional watchmakers in Switzerland, over 50,000 of them had been laid off. That's incredible. 
That's over 80%. What happened? Well, in 1969, a Swiss watchmaker invented something that would forever change the world of watchmaking. He invented what he called the quartz watch, which is the battery-powered watch that those of my generation, we grew up with quartz watches. The Swiss invented the quartz watch. But after doing so, they said to themselves, this really isn't what the public is going to want. Uh, It doesn't feel the same as a real watch. Uh, It doesn't have the same intricate design. Uh, It doesn't have the gear wheels and jewels and all the stuff that makes it work. Uh, It doesn't even tick. This is just crazy, they said. We're going to keep on making good gear-based watches that tick just like we always have. But in that 12-year span, the country of Japan leapt from owning just 1% of the market share to over 33% of the market share because they expected this new thing is going to hit big. Everybody's going to want to have one of these quartz watches. The pages of business history are filled with stories like that, stories of companies that missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime because of their lack of expectation. One more story. Take the story of Chester Carlson. Chester tried for six years to sell his strange new invention, but it was turned down by every major office equipment manufacturer in the United States of America. And finally, an obscure company from Columbus, Ohio, called Battelle, agreed to provide funding for his innovative dry-copying procedure. And thanks to the success of Carlson's little adventure, Battelle would later, later change its name to the Xerox Corporation, and the rest, my friend, uh, is history. Amen? Sometimes you get more than you expected. Sometimes you make a little investment, uh, and the return uh, is more than you ever imagined. Uh, sometimes uh, you buy stock in a new company called Apple that's a dollar a share, uh, and all of a sudden you're a millionaire hair. Sometimes you get more than you expect, but hear this preacher. That only happens when you expect something. You see, the reason why Xerox hits it big and every other office manufacturer misses out is because Xerox was the only one that expected. They didn't expect what they got. They had absolutely no idea how big this was going to be. But they had the gall to believe. So I come back again to the question. What do you expect God to do for you tonight? Amen. I venture to say, if you, if you raise up your hands, if you call out to him, if you turn your heart towards him, you're going to get more than you expect. But only if you expect something. Job chapter 3 and verse 25 says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that of which I was afraid is come unto me. I feared it. Guess what? It happened. I I was afraid. I I expected this. You get what you expect. If you expect bad to happen, somehow it just seems to work out. Bad stuff happens. 
But what if I came to the house of God and expected a blessing? What if I came into those doors on a Sunday night and said, before I go home tonight, I plan to be refreshed. I'm expecting an outpouring. I'm expecting God to meet with me like he never has before. I'm expecting to get lost in his glory, to drink from springs of living water. I'm expecting to eat today at the table of the master, bread, living bread, the bread of life. I expect to receive something from him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If I somehow, some way, can position myself in a place called expectation, anything is possible. What if I can position myself in a place expecting a miracle? What if I can position myself in a place expecting a healing? What if I can position myself uh, in a place uh, expecting a blessing? Uh, what if I can put myself in a place uh, expecting a new start? Uh, what if I can put myself in a place uh, expecting forgiveness? What if I can position myself in a place expecting peace in my home, peace in my marriage? What if I move from where I am now to a place of expectation and expected a financial blessing? What if I expected things to get better? What if I expected God to show up and show out? What if I expected God to move in my life? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God bases my blessing on what I ask and what I think. Think about that for a minute. I get from him more than I expect, but I never get from him if I don't expect it. It's what I ask. It's what I, it's not just some random choice of God. God doesn't just spin the wheel and say, you know what? On that Sunday night, I'm going to show up uh, and I'm going to bless sister so-and-so. It, it's not just a random decision. Uh, I get to decide uh, what I'm going to get. Uh, I get to decide uh, the level of my blessing uh, by what I expect God to do. Once I decide that things are going to change, they begin to change. Once I make up my mind uh, that things are not uh, going to stay the same, uh, it starts getting better. Uh, once I determine uh, that I'm not going to live in my trouble anymore, uh, but I'm going to turn it over to Jesus uh, and he's going to set me free, it happens. Once I determine that I'm going to step into a new place, of joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. Once I make up my mind, I'm going to set my mind at ease in His presence tonight. I'm going to put my trust in Him, and He's going to be my strength, and He's going to be my provider, and He's going to be my way maker. Amen. When I begin to expect it, that's what happens. What would happen if I decided I'm tired of living where I am? I'm expecting God to move me. I'm tired of being on 
the same plateau. I've been here too long. I'm expecting God to change things. What if I decided that I'm tired of going home service after service and facing the same old dilemma? A new sermon won't fix that. A new song won't fix that. A new preacher won't fix that. A new building to worship in won't fix that. A new location won't fix that. But one thing will fix it. A place called expectation. Listen, when Goliath stepped out on that battlefield, the Israelite soldiers thought, he's so big, we'll never be able to kill him. The devil holds you captive by your expectations. But a little boy named Goliath, David, stepped into that valley with Goliath, looked up at him, and said, he's so big, I can't miss. There's no way this stone's going to find its mark. One way or another, I'm hitting that big dude. You see, the soldiers were standing in a valley of doubt. But David was standing in a place called expectation. It's all about what you expect. Twelve Hebrew spies went into that promised land. Twelve of them saw the glory, saw the treasures. They saw homes they did not build, uh, fields they did not plant, uh, vineyards that produced grapes so big uh, that they could hardly carry them. Uh, they saw it all. And ten of them came home with a negative report. I don't expect that we can do this. Uh, they're, they're bigger and better and mightier than we are. Only two of the twelve expected God to work, expected to receive their promise. You know how the story ends. See, the ten got exactly what they expected, but the two got what they expected too. And a generation later, Caleb claims his mountain because he put his trust in God and said, I just expect God to bless me. I just expect God to do what he said he would do. I just expect God to deliver on his promise. That day when Jesus walked through that crown on his way to the soldier's home, and the mighty multitude pressed in upon him. It's very likely there were many sick in the crowd. It's very likely there were many who had a tortured past, who needed deliverance, who needed a word, who needed a touch. There's only one woman who walked away from that day changed, and the difference was her expectation. She's the one who pressed through the crowd. She's the one who stretched out her hand. She's the one who laid hold uh, of the hem of his garment. Uh, and she didn't just touch him uh, like others touched him. Uh, she touched him with expectation. And Jesus stops uh, and says, my goodness, uh, who touched me? And the disciples said, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, somebody touched me in a way that nobody else has touched me. I felt virtue leave my body. I felt expectancy. I felt faith meet a Savior. I felt the glory of God minister to somebody who expected something good from the Lord. It's a simple message. But I come to this pulpit tonight to call you to a place of expectation. Why don't you stand with me? It's time to move up. 
it's time to step out. It's time to turn around. It's time to take up residency in a better place. It's time to move to a place of expectancy. It's time to move to a place of blessing. Brother Randy, if you get that chair and put it right out in front of this pulpit. I preached about all I'm going to preach tonight. But God's getting ready to move in this place. I come with expectation. My old pastor used to do this. Old Brother David Harris would take a chair from the platform. He'd set it out in front of the pulpit. He'd say, right there, that's where the glory's about to be poured out. Right there is where the blessings are about to flow. Right there. He'd call it the spout where the glory comes out. Going to sit you right under that spout where the glory of God comes out. We started this message with a lame man at a gate called Beautiful. And I want to point out one more time. He got more than he expected. But it only happened because he was expecting something. He got more than he ever bargained for. But it only happened because he came with expectation. And so I want to challenge your faith. There's a better place. There's a place called expectation. And I don't know what it is you need from God tonight. I don't know what it is that... That, that you're struggling with. I don't know what kind of blessing you need. I would venture to guess if I went around the room tonight, there's nobody under the sound of my voice uh, that doesn't need a blessing from God. Some will get it tonight, and some will not. And the difference will be your expectation. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to come and sit for a moment in a better place. I'm going to invite you to come and sit for a moment in a place of expectation. My ministry staff is going to gather around me, and we're going to pray for you in the name of Jesus Christ.